Hey, have you heard the Virginia Lottery has a new Willy Wonka Golden Ticket Scratcher that has a top prize of $100,000? Tell that to my automated Golden Ticket Scratcher apparatus. You simply put the ticket in here, and the machine scratches it for you. And while we wait, we can play the Willy Wonka Golden Ticket online game with a top prize of $1 million. Just visit VALottery.com or use the lottery app. That's one impressive scratcher apparatus. Use it whenever. What's mine is yours. But hands off the scratcher. That Willy Wonka Golden Ticket is all mine. Hey everybody, it is me, your uh, perpetually dying child in a parka, Wizard Jake. And uh, this is it guys, the South Park episode of Wizard and the Bruiser. And with me as always is my co-host, uh mike lawrence how you doing <laughs> nice uh was it 2011 everything's normal yeah. everything is normal <laughs> hey we haven't done a show together since south park was popular uh south park is weirdly know, still popular <laughs> it's uh 900 million dollars yeah but uh obviously we are in the uh, wild west zone holden mcneely is uh, on paternity leave taking care of his beautiful daughter ellen and uh we wish them all the best good job mcneely family uh, may you grow ever stronger. Uh, and uh, I, I, thanks to everybody who's still listening and still supporting us. Uh, Mike, Mike Lawrence. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know how to how to start this off, but I'm just going to say when the uh, when we said we were going to do a South Park episode, I was like, cool. I'm going to watch some cartoons, have some fond memories of the late 90s, and that'll be that. And I've ended up having like a weird dark night of the soul because of everything that South Park represents. Um, as a comedy man, as a fan creator and um, person who cares a lot about comedy, like uh, what comes to mind when you think I about think South Park? that it is the natural successor of The Simpsons. I think <laughs> that as The Simpsons it started to... Not be as good. Um, <laughs> South Park came into its own in a completely unique way. I remember watching Comedy Central at this time, and because South Park started in the summer of '97, and they would show like trailers, and it—I mean, it didn't look like anything else you'd ever seen, you know, with the yeah. cardboard and just the bright colors and all of that, and it really was eye-catching. And then I remember watching the first episode and I was like, I love this to the point where yeah. I bought three shirts immediately. Cause I was going to, I was starting high school. So I was starting mm -hmm. ninth grade. Um, and I was in South Florida or our school was so crowded that the freshmen had their own portable section. Like that was like <laughs> two miles away from the regular school. So we were off on our own and it was very intimidating. And I was like, I want to impress people. So I just bought a bunch of South park shirts People would just call me South Park. <laughs> and one of my one of my best friends that I would meet at that school was, you know, he also liked South Park. He was like, oh, man, that, that show's awesome. As a nervous uh, eighth grader, I also was like, oh, no, I'm ashamed of my personality. Better cover it with this funny person, funny cartoon person with a cool attitude. And it kind of worked until uh, the principal was like, you cannot wear that to school you know anymore. What, you know what it is? Like, like what are the things, I mean, we can just talk about off the bat that that that, that South Park has um, that really stuck out was new voices. You know, mm -hmm. 
you hear a lot of the same voice actors do a lot of the same shows, and I'm sure you've talked about a lot of them. The 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 Rob Paulsons and, and Jim Cummings and uh Maurice LaMarche's yeah, the, all of them. Is it Trace Trace McNeil? Trace, Trace McNeil, McNeil yeah. yeah, they're fantastic. But you know, you watch a lot of cartoons, you start to hear a lot of the, the similar voices. And then this, like the Cartman voice was unlike anything, and it was easy to imitate. So anybody could do it, not that hey, hey, yeah. what are you talking about? Easy to imitate. Yeah. <laughs> Respect my yeah, exactly. And you know, because Homer is really hard. There's very few people that could do Homer. Uh there's very uh, Mike Lawrence, it's just Walter Matthau. Just <laughs> start at Walter Matthau, then let it decay <laughs> in a weird fashion over the course of 40 years. I miss Jack Lemon's warming touch. <laughs> I can, I can, I can do Tracy Ullman Homer. <laughs> <laughs> Frosty chocolate milkshakes. <laughs> And the warm kiss of a hand that's withered. Uh, but yeah, it, so that that really stuck out to me. Like, yeah, the voices of it all. Just, yeah, the the uniqueness, um, the, the shock, um, but the, the creativity, too. It was all just... Because that was... Was 97? Was that the year we get Arnim Tanzarian? I think it is. Uh that's if if that's that's season nine. Season nine yes. was nineteen ninety seven. Yes, it is. So just as, which also gave us City of New York versus Homer yeah, Simpson, which was a season but, eight holdover. So oh no, <laughs> oh no. But no, season nine. I because I re, I remember this time so vividly, getting that Arnim Tenzarian episode, and that was the first time. And, and I know other Simpson fans have said this, but. When you really question people it. point to it, yeah, as, like, this show yeah. is no good no more. Yeah, to, for me, uh, I was willing to, I was willing to tolerate Armin Tamzarian, uh, which is when it was revealed that Principal Skinner was a fake Principal Skinner, and there was a real Principal Skinner, and then they ran him out of town and agreed never to yeah. talk about it ever again. Uh, when uh, the horse episode ended with like magic jockeys oh, saddle, and sword, then the just a shrug. <laughs> That was when I was like, oh, whoops, whoops, my favorite thing's broken you know, forever. You know, one of the moments for me, too, was like a few years later when they went to Florida. And the whole thing <laughs> is like, you know, when the Simpsons finally come to your place and they're going to skewer it the way that they have other places. And it's just was just lame. It was like just mm. Kid Rock and an alligator. I'm like, that kind of is us, but it's not funny. <laughs> but so. The Simpsons were showing its age, and here comes something entirely new, something fresh, and in a kind of a mirror of The Simpsons. It was that like T-shirt Spencer Giftsified, like already it was popular and had energy behind it before it was even, you know, before even the first couple oh, of episodes. Hundred percent, and, and and to to the wrestling fans uh, out there, there was a um, group in the WWF called the Oddities. And uh, the guy who used to play Earthquake, John Tenta, was a character named Golga. And he was like this insane dude who had like this like bag on his head. And he came out with a Cartman plushie. <laughs> always have this Cartman plushie because it was just, this is popular. It's the 90s. Yeah. The thing is, that's really, the thing that's kind of interesting about South Park is that whereas it's compared to The Simpsons as, uh, you know, this long running thing that's been going on for decades. Uh, the Simpsons has gone through zombie phases, has had, you know, within the first couple of, you know, uh, the first season was completely different from the second season, which was completely different from the third season. Whereas South Park has been pretty much the sole 
id of these two Colorado Gen Xers yeah. <laughs> the entire time. And as it evolved from like uh, this kind of shoddily animated uh, dirty sitcom to this multimedia empire that is like created almost in real time in response to the day's events has like, it's kind of this bizarre thing now where, uh, you know, it started with, uh, they would just, you know, because of the way it was digitally animated in-house without having to do anything in Korea, without having to wait for like the individual photography to happen. Um, it was kind of brilliant where the speed and efficacy of what would normally be like, you know, those shitty 3D animated children's shows in the 2000s where it was like clearly people in mocap suits just kind oh, of yeah. wiggling around on a bad background. Also, think of, think of how much more they were able to be racist towards Asians without having to send the animation to Korea. <laughs> oh, my God. I, doing, I watched the City Sushi oh, episode boy. where they went back and retroactively was like, oh, that character was actually a white guy with multiple personality disorders. Like, the way that over time they've had to, like... <laughs> address certain things while still doubling it's because it is these two guys it is their personal journey and um well i'm not one it's it's very this is a line i've been it's been kicking around in my head for a lot of things trey parker and matt stone really don't speak truth to power as much there as they are just rude to power <laughs> like they just hate the facade and like the status of anything and are willing to just kind of attack it just for the thrill of attacking something that someone said you you can't attack. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I think the singular vision of the show is what stands out. You know, I know that you guys have talked about uh, comic scripts before, like, um, you know, Calvin and Hobbes and, 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 oh, yeah. and, and peanuts and stuff. And this, this has that. I mean, to me, this is the successor of Peanuts in many ways in terms of how it handles adolescence, but also that, um, yeah, it continues. You know, Schultz did that for, you know, those kids and they stayed the same age, but they did grow in their own ways. And, uh, you know, it's the same with these characters. Um, and I think that, yeah, it, it's interesting too, because watching Trey and Matt grow and change and even their cultural acceptance you know like the thing becomes a hit then they're in basketball like <laughs> which is it's just amazing like can you imagine like uh sam simon and matt graining in a, <laughs> in, a in a comedy in a sports comedy <laughs> so we'll get into that because it's actually it's almost a weird accident that south park was their thing because from the beginning they were kind of just putting their their thumbs in all sorts of pies, just making stuff, taking deals, kind of getting roped through the Hollywood machine. And it just so happens that like they settled on this confluence of factors that made them a hit. And, you know, they could have been the next Farrelly brothers. They could have been the next uh, uh, just generic sitcom writers. They could, you know, they, their path could have taken so many different ways and how they got to South Park is an interesting story. Speaking of which, let's get into All the right. story of how they got to do it. Um, so it's uh, we're, we're talking about two guys, Trey Parker and Matt Stone, and uh, both uh, were raised in Colorado. Uh, Trey Parker was in Conifer, Colorado, and uh, Matt Stone was in Littleton. 
the two uh, did not interact in their childhood and only met in uh, was University of Colorado at Boulder in film school in 1992. Uh, but they had like slightly different backgrounds. Trey Parker uh, was kind of this wunderkin from like an artsy high school. He was in the choir. He ended up becoming the head of the choir. He did tons of student plays and ended up being the star of student plays. And uh, despite this very like extroverted, artsy, dramatic background, he was a popular kid. He was prom king of this high school. He was kind of that like cool like, guy, class clown, you know, just kind of a popular extroverted kid. And uh, at age 14, his dad gave him a video camera, a camcorder with which he made a bunch of home movies with his friends. And so from the beginning, this kind of chaotic, borderline um, improvised kind of skit make ups is just a deep part of his, his, his creative upbringing. And uh, his love of musicals comes out. His love of Japanese crap comes out. He is a huge anime fan and Godzilla fan and uh, uh, Ultraman fan. Uh, I think he actually speaks Japanese, which is like of his offensive Asian accents, his fake Japanese accent is like pretty all right. <laughs> like he, he talked about how uh, in Chimpokomon in like season one, or it's that season two. I think two. it's two or Don't three. Yell. It's definitely not season one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he did like his Japanese accent and uh, one of his animation gurus uh, who worked on the show was there in person as a Japanese man doing a voice. And by the time they did fun, good times with weapons, he was like, so in anime, I noticed now in the openings, they've like been studying English more. So now they're like hitting the L's way harder, but it's still not right. So like the difference between like very small penis, very small, it turns to hi, hi, let's go. Kikatsu. Yeah. But so he has this very weird mix of uh, lame drama kid energy, nerdy kid energy, and weirdly popular kid energy. Meanwhile, Matt Stone uh, grows up uh, with an Irish-American father and a Jewish mother uh, named Gerald and Sheila. And uh, he loved music. He was like kind of a band bum, just kind of wanted to rock out. But his dad pushed very hard for him to pursue mathematics. In fact, uh, Matt Stone claims he was kind of a math prodigy. There is a intense interview from uh, 2000, right after Bigger, Longer, Uncut came out in Playboy that you can find on uh, the Kindle store. Uh, but he basically says like, he was a math prodigy. He was getting like, he slept walked through his entire education, getting Bs only because he never handed in his homework. And the idea was if uh, music wasn't gonna work out, he would be one of those like high level logicians who worked for major corporations <laughs> because that was supposed to be his journey. But he wanted to pursue something creative and so he double majored in film while at University of uh, Colorado Boulder, working alongside him, Trey Parker, and the two ended up hanging out a lot on student film shoots. And uh, Mike, if you've ever been on a film shoot, uh, how much downtime would you say there most is during it. these? Yeah, shows? it's mostly, <laughs> especially those, because everyone's just figuring shit out. But, you know, that stuff's important. It's so important when you're young to just try everything like that and i mean you know because you, you don't know where it'll take you you know and you don't know who you'll connect with mm -hmm. and so it's them hanging out and shooting the shit that like their rapport kind of happens and i feel like every nerd listening kind of has that one or two friends that they have their own weird comedy language with like the kind of friend that like 
I know in high school, I had friends like this. Uh, Mike, Aww. I consider you a friend like this, where there's like a certain rhythm. There's a certain like understanding of what each other's weird internal comedy logic that bounces off each other and kind of uh, is exciting to work with that other person or not even work, just hang out with that other person. Right. Yeah. I remember, you know, I'll always say this, but, um, you know, when I got married, uh, I'll say this to the, the audience, um, uh, we, I had a green lantern, uh, wedding ring and <laughs> we did the oath at the end and Jake was at my wedding <laughs> and Jake was the first person to talk to me after, right after the ceremony. Um, and this was in 2014. So this, this, language had a different meaning then but he goes great ryan reynolds ring uh, <laughs> <laughs> this was this was you know pre-deadpool yeah um you know uh and it was so funny because it was like it kind of it kind of ruined things in a way in a funny way i'm just like oh man i just got married you're bringing up ryan reynolds <laughs> 2014 but it was so funny because i'm like oh this guy gets me <laughs> and it's like something i'll always remember because you know a wedding it's like so emotional and, and all of that and then just to immediately be grounded with hey remember the 2011 green lantern film <laughs> Uh, it was, it's one of the worst movies ever made. It's just a giant, it's, I would rather watch a bunch of men in suits burn a pile of money and just watch the embers glow in real time. Yeah, but, but you know, it's funny in, in the same way that, you know, these dudes are like on these film shoots in, 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 in Boulder, you know, film school. It's like you had Ryan Reynolds there and Taika Waititi as, as the uh, poorly named pie face. <laughs> <laughs> uh, from the 50s comics but um you know but the fact that it's like you look where those guys would end up and i mean look when they were slumming in on this 160 million dollar warner brothers property <laughs> but i'm sure i'm sure they both were talking like man if i could make the movie that i wanted to i'm, I'm sure the mm -hmm. beginnings of what you know a ragnarok or or deadpool would be were, were fermenting in their head so a thing that a lot of people kind of uh get or are confused about is you know, if you watch an episode of South Park, if you watch uh, the movie, if you do a lot of things, it says written by Trey Parker, directed by Trey Parker. And even in terms of the load and of uh, voice acting, Matt Stone's roles are like not as uh, outlandish. You know, it's Trey Parker doing Cartman and Mr. Garrison. Meanwhile, Matt Stone's doing like Butters and Kyle. Um, but it's still that relationship between the two, their weird comedy zone of their friendship that defines the South Park voice. Uh, Trey Parker said, um, I would not and could not do South Park without Matt. I still can't put my finger on it, but it intrigues me. I'm different around Matt than I am with my other friends. We laugh at different stuff than we do with our other friends. And when we and what we laugh about together, that's what South Park is. And I think it's also, you know, it's interesting you, you brought up Butters because you know, yeah, originally, you know, he's doing Kenny, he's doing Kyle, um, you know, Matt. But then I I feel like when he gets Butters, Butters is his Cartman. Mm. Butters is his iconic. Um, I mean, look, and Kyle's a great character, but in terms of just pure comedy. Yeah. Uh, you know, Butters is a very memorable character. Well, that's just them doing. Uh, we'll talk about him later. But Eric Stowe is Stowe stuff. Stotch. I don't want to say stuff. Whatever. Uh, one of the animators that worked with them uh, for to this day, uh, it was just his impersonation of him. 
and they just used one of the background kids to like give him to make him a character. So they're collaborating, they're hanging out, and the idea comes for Cannibal the Musical. Um, alongside uh, classmates Ian Harden and Jason McHugh, uh, they start with a three-minute fake trailer and just a funny juxtaposition. Uh, hey, what if there was a jaunty Oklahoma-style Rodgers and Hammerstein musical about a truly fucked up part of American history? And um, it gets passed around on campus and they get uh, positive feedback and they decide, well, we're going to make it an indie film. We're going to do it. And it's, uh, you know, I, I don't, I'm not going to get into the uh, entire production history of it. I will say that the horse uh, in the film was named after Trey's ex-girlfriend. And that's why uh, a lot of the film is about a, the horse's disloyalty. Also, the uh, song It's a Spadoinkle Day is a bop, and I won't hear anything otherwise. Um, and this is where the first kind of what makes them different, what makes them different from some other film nerd stoners. Um, as native Coloradans, it becomes very important to them that they get into Sundance, which was the newest, coolest, hippest kind of showcase for independent films. This is where fortunes are made. This is where things happen. And it was not accepted at Sundance. So they just rent out a hotel conference room and host their own showings of it. And that kind of gumption, that kind of thing gives them a little bit of buzz. They get uh, highlighted by MTV as kind of the punk rock side of Sundance. And they start making connections with people. Um, Scott Rudin, a producer that we've talked about previously uh, in our Adams Family episode, who we joked about how he was a nightmarish asshole to his staff, but now it's like not funny anymore. It's since come out that like enough people are like, no, seriously, he traumatized me, but whatever. You know, it's interesting too quickly um, because there would end up being the Slam Dance Film Festival, which would be right, you know, in Park City, Utah, but this predates that. Yeah. So they probably helped inspire that of just like, well, fuck, we'll we'll do our own festival. That it's it's they honestly jumped the gun on so many different cultural things. This is before, uh, you know, well, we'll, we'll I'll get into it. But uh, like the South Park, the spirit of Christmas films or, you know, shorts, whatever you want to call them, were made before even Macromedia had like finished developing the Flash animation software that then ushered in the realm of dirty little 2D animated uh, stoner bait cartoons. Like they were ahead of that. They went analog and got ahead of that curve. Whereas, you know, if they started on the internet, who knows if it would, if it would have uh, stood out, but they make friends, they sell the movie to Troma, uh, Lloyd Coffin. We talked about that in our uh, talks. Our, we think we did a whole episode on Troma. Uh, Lloyd Kaufman, New York-based producer, uh, makes schlocky movies. Yeah. And and sell is a loose term. Yeah. <laughs> he does not give much money for his films, if any at all. Yeah. Well, the, the irony is, is that just even beyond Toxic Avenger, like his most iconic movie that had its own cartoon series in the 90s, Cannibal the Musical was their highest grossing picture that they ever owned. Oh, yeah. And it was because of that South Park glow and people looking for this. but. The response to Cannibal the Musical uh, gave them enough connections and gave them enough um, clout that they decided they're going to make a go for it in L.A. And this is where things get kind of uh, crazy. This is where the idea, 
the idea that like South Park was just this wacky cartoon that made by these two random guys that like happened to go viral, which on the internet back then went like a hundred thousand people. <laughs> it kind of falls apart because the fact is they made friends with uh, agents uh, at William and Morris. They got meetings all over the place. Uh, David Zucker became a huge fan of Cannibal. They pitched a show to uh, Fox Kids, like directly to Pam Brady, who was the mind behind, or not the, but, you know, the executive who brought in the X-Men, the animated series, Power Rangers. You're, like, you're thinking of Margaret Loesch. I am. Oh, uh, no. Pam Brady is one of the writers of South Park. She co-writes the movie, uh, Bigger, Longer, Uncut. Oh, okay. Who'd I fuck up? It's Margaret okay, Loesch. Right. I, I know this because I'm I'm researching Power Rangers for a different reason. <laughs> and, and I'm very aware <laughs> of her. And she worked in Marvel Entertainment with Stan Lee and helped with Jim and a lot of stuff. Yeah. In the 70s and 80s. And then, yeah, it was Fox Kids in the 90s. Okay. So the point is, their first like major thing that they got going was a unsuccessful children's program called Time Warped, which was supposed to be a live action, wacky history-based sketch show. You can find this on YouTube right now. And it's shot pretty much like Cannibal the Musical with a lot of like outdoor sets and kind of goofy over the top acting and musical interludes. You know, basically like, hey, you did this, pitch me the same thing, but yeah. in a way <laughs> I can use it. Like, you know, it's a very common practice when you first come to LA. More singing, less eating people. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it is truly bizarre uh, just to see an alternate history where like, if it had gone through, who knows what our lives would be. I, I think this would have just been like the next Wienerville, you know? Yeah. Like it would have like lasted a season or two and then like, okay. And there'd be a, th and there'd be things where like the grumps are like, you know, if you looked at their early stuff, they're actually quite dirty. Isn't that funny? You know, also is like, there's that guy, I think his name is, Dean Bacar, mm -hmm. but he's in all their early stuff. He's like Chota Boy in Orgasmo. Mm -hmm. He's in Basketball. He's like this really like small nebbishy guy. Um, I think that he was just like an actor because I don't. He he voices Chris in, in South Park, Satan's lover, Chris. Um, but he's definitely one of those. I don't know if he went to to college with them or what, but like he was in all their early stuff, and I I kind of miss him. Yeah, he, he was very uh, charming in his own uh, way. From the Playboy interview, describing their initial time in uh, L.A., um, you know, what were your first meetings here in L.A. like? Parker responds, "They were big. We met this lawyer who was married to someone at William Morris." We gave him a videotape of Cannibal. He watched and loved it, showed it to friends, and then showed it to his wife at William Morris, who got us a meeting. Then William Morris gave it to Scott Rudin, who saw it and loved it and brought me in. So we came to have all these big meetings, and here we were like, here we fucking go. Stone then uh, jumps in, and then nothing. People think we just lucked out. They say, hey, I wish I could just do what you did. Well, here's what you do. Move to a new town where nobody except one or new two friends have any idea who you are. And you have no idea what you're going to do tomorrow. And then watch all your friends get jobs and get dental plans and health plans while you're sleeping on the floor in a pile of dirty laundry. Yep. <laughs> Been there, done that. <laughs> so uh, David Zucker, another industry, uh, you know, a member of the of the luxurious Zucker brothers, uh, scary movie franchise, Naked Gun. Uh, I don't know if he's the one who went crazy. I think he's the one who just 
made money and made the uh, scary, made scary. Oh yeah, because oh yeah, airplane and all that. And they did they also do Kentucky Fried movie? I think. Oh yeah, that's that was their that was their that was their yeah. But also, uh, yeah, because one of them was it an American Carol, like the super conservative? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think that's the other yeah. one. I think that's yeah, the other just, one. Let's just hope. Yeah. Oh no, no, it wasn't. Director, writer, producer. Whoops, whoops. Um. Ah well, whatever. Um. The uh, he was so impressed with them that he actually gave them a corporate gig to direct a parody uh, newsreel film for the Seagram's Corporation, which had just bought out Universal Studios. And so Parker and Stone got uh, Demi Moore, Steven Spielberg, James Cameron and all of these Universal associated talents to like appear in this weird comedic short film. And that is also on YouTube. It's called Your Studio and You. And you can hear like Trey Parker's like news up tomorrow voice yeah. that he busts out all the time. Again, long before South Park was even a glimmer in anyone's eye. Uh, they also get Orgasmo released, um, which is, of course, uh, the movie about a Mormon missionary who becomes a porn star. And it has uh, an orgasm gun and also... There's, it was half uh, financed by a Japanese porn company because they wanted to break in some of their talent in the West. A very weird thing. I love this movie. It's so stupid. But I remember, <laughs> um, you know, because this was that time when, yeah, like South Park came out and then you found out about all this other stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, I think, I think the first thing I ever did when I got internet access was look up the spirit of christmas mm -hmm. was find out about orgasmo and just oh my god there's all this stuff um and did this this movie have you ever seen it i saw it when i was probably in eighth or ninth grade none of the jokes like all the jokes flew over my head i didn't even know what a mormon was my sheltered little jewish ass like had no clue so i really need to rewatch it now and actually see it with a a human adult's eyes because as a kid it i was just lost i had no Dude, idea. it's so weird i mean there's definitely parts of it that have not aged well like you know ron jeremy's in it uh <laughs> you know uh that's that's a that's a harsh google nowadays but um you know but there are there are moments in it that are still funny uh and there's a moment uh where the the dean baker character choda boy he has this, uh, his haunting flashback was, uh, he does hamster style Kung Fu and he remembers the moment that he shouldn't have where he's just, it's still him, but as a boy and he has a backwards hat and a giant ladle and cereal. <laughs> and he's like, dad, I don't think I want to do hamster style anymore. And the dad goes, okay. <laughs> and that's his haunting moment. <laughs> and it's so funny. Like they're, you can you can see um, a lot of the creativity and weirdness. I I think I think in, in some ways even more so than than Cannibal mm -hmm. in in this movie. Um, you have Matt Stone as a, a cameraman whose catchphrases. I don't mean to sound queer or nothing, but <laughs> Rush is a great band. <laughs> Giddy Lee, best bass player ever. 
<laughs> and then you have the, I mean, the, the theme. Where's the lie? The theme song at the end is now you're a man, man, man. So that's very much a lot of the Treyisms. Yeah, their band uh, was it's DVDA. I want to say yeah, double vaginal, double, double anal, which is that's in yeah. Orgasmo. Someone does DVDA. No, yeah, they uh, performed at Sundance uh, in the late '90s after their big uh, rise to power, and uh, in Basically, in direct response to them getting snubbed years earlier at Sundance, they opened their set with a song called Robert Redford Fucks Baby, <laughs> which is um, kind of kind of their so much of uh, South Park's like edgy stuff, like uh, fight picks are like you think there's like some greater thing going on when really it is pretty much their personal beefs. They're like it's almost like a shock jock kind of thing where like the best thing that can happen is if the person they're making fun of swings back. Well, and and I, you know, what doesn't get said enough is that it's like, you know, they take a shot at a guy like that. Who's a, a powerful big guy. And, you know, you're thinking like, there are a lot of times when, you know, you're starting out and people are like, I mean, you don't want to make fun of anyone. You don't know who you're going to end up working mm-hmm. with. But the reality is also, you know, there's a lot of people who are like, Hey, Robert Redford's a friend of mine, but then there are as many people are like, yeah, he does fuck babies. <laughs> fuck that guy. <laughs> Who also didn't get their films accepted or whatever, and, you know. So after Orgasmo uh, gets an NC-17 from the uh, Motion Picture Association of America and results in poor box office performance, they uh, are frustrated and they continue with their next project, which is a little film called The Spirit of Christmas, colon, Jesus versus Santa. Rewind, uh, Trey Parker, as part of his education, took a animation 101 class. And there he um, did a stop motion film called American History. And it used this very crude stop motion animated style. Uh, even think even cruder than Jesus versus or uh, Santa versus Frost, Jesus versus Frosty. It used uh, audio from uh, one of his animation uh, teachers, a Japanese man. And so the mixture of his like voice kind of very cavalierly talking about the sins of American history mixed with the childlike construction paper animation earned him a Student Academy Award. Uh, he literally got flown out and won an award for uh, student uh, animation. Uh, he describes that uh, there were all these CalArts kids behind me who had submitted beautiful watercolor and pencil things. And here's my shitty construction paper thing, which made South Park look like Disney. And they were all fuming at me. He brings back this technique, uh, working with Matt Stone for a short called The Spirit of Christmas. Now uh, in which uh, Fro- it's a play on Frosty the Snowman. Uh, the character designs are very crude. Uh Cartman, the character who is the shape of Cartman, dies, and they call him Kenny in that one. Um, it's just very fun and violent and crude. Brian Graydon, an executive at Fox, who, if you remember, had been working on them on that history show, Time Warp, uh, liked it so much that he asked them to produce a greeting card that he could send to friends that would just rehash the movie, rehash the first one in just a, a, a nicer package. Uh, the amount of money that they were paid to do this uh, vacillates. Uh, some interviews said $5,000. Another one said $1,200. But it becomes an underground hit in Hollywood. Uh, among the famous fans, besides Graydon, uh, supposedly George Clooney is a big booster and can't stop sharing it. Again, this is pre-viral video. This is pre 
you know, flash animation where a funny little animated short, uh, if you're not getting into the Spike and Mike's animation film festival, like it is just handed around as underground tapes alongside the uh, weird, ah, ah, champagne from the north of France uh, commercial. This is like, you know, this is George Clooney, ER from Just Till Dawn, uh, you know, putting on that bat suit, <laughs> Clooney, because <laughs> even where George Clooney is now from then, and then, you know, they even, uh, you know, they end up making fun of uh, George Clooney years later in an episode where they're trying to drive away from George Clooney's Oscar speech. Yeah. yeah. Smug. <laughs> I, and I think they, I think he, they killed him on screen in team America. Like they really like, you know, yeah, man, don't, you know, they, they, they'll turn on you. These guys, the short was digitized at some point and put onto the early uh, internet where it becomes even more popular. And so once again, stone and Parker are in meetings. Uh, they pitched it to Fox and the network didn't want to uh, air it because of the character, Mr. Hankey. Uh, there were more television deals. MTV made an offer and Comedy Central made an offer. And supposedly they went with Comedy Central because they felt that uh, Comedy Central would be more true to the show's adult leanings and that they would uh, that MTV might be too tempted to push it towards a more young adult. Remember, audience. there were years and there were years and years where it was only on at 10 o'clock and after. Mm-hmm. And now they just marathon the, the hell out of it, like even <laughs> during the day. But for a good while, it was, you know, yeah, it was like very adult programming <laughs> before every episode to this day. Basically, all characters and events in this show, even those based on real people are entirely fictional. All celebrity voices are, impor- are impersonated poorly. The following program contains coarse language and due to its content should not be viewed by anyone. <laughs> and that just added to the like danger oh, of it. Yeah. But uh, the pilot is greenlit. It is uh, animated by uh, Trey, Matt and Eric Stuff, 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 Stu- the guy who in- who's uh, Butters. It is all done in stop motion with construction paper in several behind the scenes footage. They, they show off the original uh, construction paper models pointing out like when uh, certain pieces of paper were stained by coffee from their marathon session. It was animated all in Denver, all, uh, you know, traditional, nothing digital. It's approved. They like it. My God, my God, they like it. And this results in South Park fever. It hits like a bombshell. We got we it's it's uh cartman gets an anal probe and the world is completely different yeah mike what why why was it so goddamn intoxicating i think that you know um like i said i I think it was just a bunch of different things that you know visually Mm -hmm. um i think comedically um the weirdness of it you know the Mm -hmm. um Patrick Duffy for a leg, scuzzlebutt. Because you know, <laughs> scuzzlebutt. Thing, like I, I did watch every week, mm-hmm. and um, you know, the first the first episode's good, mm-hmm. but I think that even the boost in quality from that uh, volcano, epi- you know, the volcano episode, mm-hmm. you know, it's coming right for us, mm-hmm. um, and, and the violence of that, just shooting the animals, and then. <laughs> Weight gain four thousand, you know, like it, it just really follow your dreams. You can reach your goals. Yeah. Be back and Kathy Lee, and you know, like that. It was just you're willing to make fun of anything and creative, and you know, it's like because it's also 
you know, this is this is after Beavis and Butthead, I, I think, Denise, and, and mm-hmm. Ren and Stimpy, you know, so there was so much, like, absurd animation and stuff, but I don't think anything that was ever, like, this brash, and it was, you know, because of the simplicity of the, you know, the, the animation is deceptively simple, mm-hmm. but, like, it allows you to focus on the jokes. It allows you to... It allows them to get away with anything in, in, in a way because of the crudeness of it. It's one, th- I mean, in later seasons, when the now that the animation is so streamlined and the even just their the raw computing power that they're able to unleash on it within their uh famous, you know, week-long time frame is so much higher, it does almost feel a little more uh grotesque than the earlier seasons where it was like, yeah, there was fucked up shit happening, but it might as well have been a stick figure drawing with the words, something fucked up is happening. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, but at the same time, you know, because of the fact that, like, you know, there are certain rules within South Park that you just accept that you might be more critical of in, in other animation and other shows. You know, like, every Disney or Pixar, like, there's always the one character that's very clearly voiced by an animator mm-hmm. because he's not as like a good voice actor as everyone else. Like, like the turtle in finding Nemo. It's just very much. You could tell like, Oh, this is the voice that just pops everyone else at lunch. Hey, put it in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But you know, Trey and Matt, it's like they could do whatever voice and you know, they, they could be 20 characters and, only three of them sound distinct, but you don't care mm-hmm. because of the fact that like you're happy to see these two guys just messing around and, and having fun and being weird, you know, um, mm-hmm. not knowing how Kenny's going to die in the next episode. And and then even the fact that, you know, when you're because when you're thinking of that, the, that first season, especially you're. You know, who knows if they're even thinking about sustainability. You as a fan aren't. You're just watching what you're watching. But, like, you know what? We're just not going to kill Kenny anymore, <laughs> like, after a while. <laughs> but those, you know, I, I remember, you know, the Mr. Hanky episode, the Christmas episode. It was a Christmas episode, so he doesn't die. Yep. And that was, like, a big thing because that was only, like, seven, eight episodes in, maybe nine episodes in. And you're, like, nine episodes in, they're already, like, getting meta yeah. with it, which is very interesting. You know, and, and I remember... I was, you know, furious about the Terrence and Philip, oh, the April Fool's Day. Okay, like now I, 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 because like I said, I loved South Park. I stopped watching for a while. I felt personally hurt because I was also, I was fifteen, so everything personally hurt me. <laughs> it was a terrible age. The season goes on week after week. Each episode on the schoolyard is getting quoted verbatim. Each new episode results in a new T-shirt at Hot or at Spencer Gifts that everybody has to get. We have celebrity guests like George Clooney as Stan's gay dog, uh, the chick from Species, uh, Natasha Henstridge, credited as the chick from Species, an entire kaiju. Uh, pastiche homage featuring Barbara Streisand and Robert Smith and Leonard Maltin, which like this is decades before people are even casually throwing around the word kaiju. This is they're just throwing everything at the wall. And, and Sydney Portier. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, it's so goofy and, and it's so fun because it's like you don't yeah you don't know what's gonna happen and you just kind of 
you know, you immediately trust these guys. I had no concept of like Barbara Streisand sucks other than just she kind of reminds me of my friend's moms or something like I didn't know anything, but it was fun to like knock on this like famous, important person from my grown ups world. And it turns out uh, they talked about the reason why they hated Barbara Streisand so much was because Colorado in the 90s passed a piece of anti-gay legislation. And Barbara Streisand was like, well, I'm not going to live in Colorado anymore because she has a mansion in Aspen. And they were mad at her for being like, who the fuck are you that you're like, uh, like, oh, oh, no, Barb, not Barbara Streisand. I guess we'll have to accept gay people now. Again, they probably agreed with like fighting anti-gay legislation, but the smugness was more offensive to them. And in a world like it's just very interesting. I guess we'll get into it. We'll get into it a little bit later about their political leanings and about their targets and about like who they choose to make fun of and how they choose to like come to terms with that well, later it's feeling, on. You know, but, but to go into it for a little bit now, you know, it is very clear like when they feel slighted. I, yes. I think like a very, a very famous example is and and and, and I've heard them talk about this openly. Matt Stone is in bowling from for Columbine. Oh, yeah. Because he lives in Littleton and you know, Michael Moore documentary. And, you know, he wanted them to do that, that like you said, they they did a American history thing in the 90s, but you know, he does that history of America thing that looks like their style and sounds like their style, but isn't. And because he wanted them to do it, and then they said, No, we're not gonna do it. And Matt Stone, like, because I will be honest, I thought it was that. Going into this episode, I assumed because of Bowling for Columbine 20 plus years ago at this point, I thought, oh, Matt Stone is the guy who did the animation and Trey Parker was the guy who did the voices. And that's how they collaborated, because I remember in Bowling for Columbine, they interviewed Matt Stone and then they did an animation that looked like South Park. So it makes and all of that was whole cloth. They just interviewed Matt Stone. Yeah. Matt Stone made some salient points about suburban alienation. And then they aired. And then they showed this yep. cheaply flash animated thing with like bug-eyed South Park-esque uh, crude puppety Lots people. of violence. Yeah. Lots of violence. Lots of, they even did that kind of like uh, yep. weird news of the world kind of Trey Parker kind of style voice acting over it. So I, yeah, I just naturally, I just assumed and all these years later, like, no, it was made whole cloth. And because of the way documentary films work, you just see one thing followed by another thing and you assume they're So related. then you get Michael Moore in Team America <laughs> being a fat slob who blows up uh, with dynamite on his chest. In the, uh, he blows up Mount yes, Rushmore. that's right. <laughs> he talks like this. <laughs> Which, I mean, so, God. But even then, it's interesting. So, like, as a kid or as a teenager, especially in the 2000s, I was political, you know, uh, George W. Bush is a Nazi. Um, I was like anti-war. I was anti, uh, you know, I watched in, you know, I think everybody around our age watched in real time as the war and terror kind of took over the narrative of our country. And like, here was uh, the guys from South Park being like, like, okay, I know what you're thinking. Oh, this is going to be an unprecedented waste of human life and a human rights violation and a massive fraud committed for the sake of oil but have you heard my hilarious pussies dicks assholes analogy <laughs> and i'm like okay that's kind of true but the war in iraq is still bullshit and michael moore and sean penn and all these annoying people are right <laughs> like it's so frustrating 
but at the very least, they're not coming from the same annoying angle as like whatever like passes for like mainline conservative comedy, where like it's very rare where someone just walks in doing a gay voice and it's like, uh, gender, I love lattes. Like it's never that bad. They are always coming from a vaguely original. The thing is, like, you know, Team America is one of my favorite movies ever. I I lost my voice the next day because I laughed so hard. It's the funniest thing. There is diminishing returns. It is an 85-minute movie that at about 70 minutes in, you're like, I've seen it all. But it's still, (laughs) there are some incredible moments in that movie. And the, you know, pussies, dicks, asshole speech is so prescient in many ways because i mean you know and 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 talking about the politics of it all it's like all right so these guys are dicks and these guys are assholes and these like do you like anyone yeah and i mean and that really is the true opinion of south park no they all kind of suck like right there is a nihilistic attitude to all of it. And I swear I'll get off my fucking high horse. Whoa there, Gibraltar. Whoa there. I swear I'll get off you in a second. Um, but like everybody sucks is still a like means nothing changes. Yeah. It means that like their one taboo, the one thing they will never do is give a prescriptive answer, which serves its own purpose and like. For maybe, I think it's the shift from like Gen X perspective to millennial to Gen Z that like, even when uh, famously in season 22, I think they actually apologized to Al Gore for like making fun of him for being a global warming alarmist. They're like, okay, you were right. It's real. It's a thing. They still like didn't say, and now let's do a carbon tax or now let's do a green new deal. And that like, no, cause that was still a bridge too far. They still have to be like, well, it's just, people just suck. Like they just ended on a, well, everybody. Yeah, sucks, but those which, still, you know, it is amazing though, but they still have like brilliant satire where they hit things on the head mm-hmm. better than anyone else. Like, I mean, the member berries thing is such a fantastic dissection of you know in in that in that first episode where they're like remember jawas remember lando and then they just go remember feeling safe remember reagan (laughs) and it's like i don't i don't think that there was a better attack on trump than that i mean you had the you know garrison is trump later on but i thought that that was their best like salvo if you ask me because it, it really did hit everything that it's all based on this garbage nostalgia the trump years were a very chaotic time for them because it kind of represented the first time where the news went faster than even south park could cover it which was a very scary thing a very new interesting thing because uh by you know they had mastered this week-long crunch cycle when during production and you know they had they were like oh trump's in the news that's kind of funny let's just have mr garrison in there and then next week, we'll can't, we can forget about it because he's not going to go anywhere. And then they're kind of stuck in this thing. The serialized stories from episode to episode kind of one of the weaknesses of South Park is the tight deadlines means they kind of punt the endings a lot of times as they run out of time, as they're like caught up in their own stuff. So many episodes, like if you watch an episode and you're like, what, that's how they ended it. Chances are, if you talk to Trey and Matt, they'd be like, yeah, we're also frustrated with that ending. We had a week to finish this. Thing. Yeah, there's an executive like 
with a gun pointed at our head saying, time's up, motherfuckers. <laughs> but uh, there was the subplot with the internet trolls and they kind of had a come to Jesus moment where like, here was an entire political movement based on the same thing that they had dedicated their lives to, just pissing people off who were a little too complacent. And in the end, it comes down to like, this very convoluted ending and it, and the writers are backed into a corner with Gerald Bravlovsky as their like stand in talking to this Ur troll character that they've created to represent all these cultural things. And in the end, all they could do is like, okay, but here's the difference. We're actually fucking funny. And I couldn't disagree. <laughs> We're like, it's, it's honest to God true that even when I disagree with their politics, it's, it's at least in interesting ways um, that being said, if you are Asian, Muslim, trans, uh, any number, uh, just uh, someone who, so, who likes Paris Hilton or Britney Spears, any number of their targets who, you know, they came after and like unapologetically just kind of were like, this person, this viewpoint, this identity is illegitimate. If for the rest of your life, you're like, fuck those guys, I'm not, I can't argue with you. I can't be like the same way if someone pisses them off, they'll strike back. You're allowed to be like, yeah, no, they said this about something very dear to me. I don't respect them. And like, there's no amount of like, oh, but the joke delivery, the, the, the metal layer, I can't, I can't argue them out of it. But as a 37 year old man, like I, I just, I'm dead. Like, there's just so many really good jokes and well, so many and, good bits and, in there. You know, and, and there is nuance at times, you know, like for instance, you know, Britney Spears, where they basically do like a parable of Shirley Jackson's The Lottery, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's really not, they don't, I don't think they make fun of her as much as how we just chose her to be a pariah. You're right, you're right. And, you know, and now look, it's 2021 and all the conservative ship stuff has been this big story and she had this documentary and everything. They were kind of prescient on that one, if you ask me. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely but, right. But yeah, Paris Hilton, it's yeah, stupid spoiled whore. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, she ends up in Mr. Slave's butthole. Like, <laughs> yeah, so they will, yeah, at times they'll really, they'll come for you. And then at other times, you know, they won't. And, 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 you know, there are times where the, the thing that I, I, I love about the show that I'll always love about the show and, and why I continue to watch it is that they take big swings and sometimes they miss. They, yeah. they do miss. Sometimes, like you said, the climate change thing, sometimes they... Honestly, if you catalog, if I had a forum in which I was forced to give a hot yeah. take every year, every week, starting from 1997, I would also not hold up to my own standards right now. No. <laughs> like, I would also make some real big whiffs yeah and they do you know and then sometimes they really really hit it out of the park um i don't think there's ever been like a truly bad season there's been bad episodes mm -hmm. there's been episodes where you know like you said you can kind of tell where they commit to something you know they pitch something on thursday they commit to it over the weekend and now it's fucking tuesday yeah and it's mostly animated and you can even tell like sometimes they're like ah crap i guess we got to do this you know yeah is every take of theirs right no but i mean and the, you know they are the closest thing to um an animated show being like a stand-up comic in that mm -hmm. you're watching them 
come up with new material. And I, I think that they've kind of understood their own limitations and stuff where they used to do a lot more episodes. They do way less episodes now, mm-hmm. or they do these, you know, the pandemic special and, and things like that. And honestly, I, I'm happy with that. I, I'd rather get them at what they feel is their best or most comfortable because at the end of the day, they still do go after things that nobody else does. There's stuff on China in the last oh, year yeah. or two. When you look at the NBA and you look at Disney and all these places, I mean, John Cena apologized to China <laughs> that Taiwan isn't a country. Like that's that's from like two months ago. That's that's recent. That's yeah. you know to promote Furious Nine. So for them to be on the pulse of that. Um, you know, and it's interesting. Yeah, the celebrities. I I heard a very funny celebrity story about South Park, which was that um, I won't I won't say who it is, but um, but I was working on a show, and and one of the writers told me that they uh, they were um, good friends with a celebrity, and this celebrity loved South Park, and they would have South Park viewing parties, and. There was an episode where they were the main target and they got eviscerated. Like it was one of the meanest depictions. You, if you want to you try to figure it out, figure it out. I just don't want to mm. betray the person who told me this is confidence. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. it's and and you know, there were no more South Park viewing parties after that. <laughs> and and you know, they were laughing every week at everyone else taking their hits, and then it was like, oh fuck. You know, the way they went after uh Kanye and dude, they went after Mencia on Mencia's own network. <laughs> yeah, it's their privileged position. It, and I'm not using that in the loaded term. It's the fact that they've survived so many slings and arrows and that controversy is now their brand and what's expected of them and built into the concept of South Park that lets them kind of do things that nobody else is allowed to do. Or at least, and the very least, no one is allowed to do while still staying in the mainstream. And, you know, they've done things that have pissed off Comedy Central. Um, obviously, the, the Mohammed stuff. But, like, on a, on a business level, you know, for years, you could, you know, they had South Park Studios. Mm-hmm. And you could watch the episodes the next day. And, you know, Comedy Central has deals with Hulu and all these distribution platforms and stuff. They're like, what the fuck are you doing <laughs> Giving our giving the show we pay for <laughs> to people. Well, it was. I mean that that streaming agreement. This was like they got that deal going during the Kazaa years. It was way before Hulu, way before even Netflix was. You know, Netflix was still slinging discs in the mail at that point. And so South, so Comedy Central, eager to keep these guys on board and keep them happy, was like, uh, you know, they were noticing hey, our episodes are just getting massively pirated on Kazaa and LimeWire. If we just stream it ourselves and sell ad space, we'll make money. Hey, Comedy Central, oh, I don't know. We've been doing this an awful long time. Maybe we could do a whittle deal and we'll stay as your tentpole franchise. And Comedy Central was like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Have uh, a massive cut of streaming uh, revenue. Sure, sure, sure. Whatever you guys want. How, how bad could it be? How bad could streaming be? Cut two, they get to make these crazy deals. As of the time of recording, uh, they signed a $900 million deal with Viacom, CBS, slash Paramount, slash everything to keep making content. And they are going to keep a huge ton of that, even though technically South Park is owned by Comedy Central. It is this 
insane uh, sweetheart deal that came right before the rest of show business truly understood the power of internet distribution. And, and think of like all the celebrities that like they've shat on, all the people they've shat on, and those people then like trying to get Book of Mormon tickets. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, because, okay, you know, like, I mean, Book of Mormon just sticks out to me in terms of that mainstream acceptance of you know tony winning and 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 the truth is like book of mormon i think is one of their tamer things uh oh but yeah for broadway it is so outrageous well i i really want to rewatch it now because i feel like so much of the humor is based on the weird tension of lion king being so popular <laughs> and like the reality of lion king selling out in multiple cities in multiple theater districts while like the reality of what's going on of what was going on in Africa at the time, like it's it's weird because like the targets are a little bit dated now. You know, Book of Mormon's like a decade old at yeah. this point, more. But God, this was a fun uh gigantic uh divergence, but just to, just under the pretext that this is still a chronological I'm history. Sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, let's just shotgun the uh the 2000s for the the late 90s, 2000s. Um they assumed that they were a flash in the pan. So they took the acting job on basketball. Um, literally, like they they were like, who knows? You know, we just got offered a movie. We just got offered to star in a fucking Zucker movie. Let's do it. Uh, they don't have writing credit on it. They are just there as head actors. I I remember it fondly. You know, I was I still hold a candle for the Naked Gun movies. I still like that kind of very dumb, zany comedy. Yasmin Bleeth is a vision, all of glory to Yasmin Bleeth, but they will not talk about their experiences on that movie very much. It was kind of just an embarrassing, wacky thing they did because they had the opportunity to do. It's funny because uh, there's that scene, it's the most Trey Parker moment in the where he's driving in the car and he's like, and your girlfriend left you and you're really sad. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> he clearly had something to do with that part. And it's like by far the funniest part of the movie. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely funnier when he just breaks into the Cartman voice for no reason <laughs> during one of the Oh, and that was in all of the trailers. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Why else would you go to this movie about the Zephyr <laughs> guys? During this time, they are working on a lot of different things. They're taking all sorts of deals. They accepted a Dumb and Dumber script reboot uh, thing. And so according to them, seasons two and three is a little bit out of their hands. There's... Um, more writers kind of listed on staff and they thought maybe they're just going to do the Simpsons thing. Maybe they're just going to kind of uh, fade away and move on to other things while the show goes on without them. And then Paramount gives them a movie deal for bigger, longer uncut. And it is an insane kind of uh, meeting of old show business and these two young guys with their weird thing. They open up a second studio to work on the movie and the entire time they are bumping up against the Motion Picture Association, who keeps giving it an NC-17 rating. Uh, they're resenting that to the point where they change the movie to be mostly about that. They're butting heads with Paramount's marketing team. Uh, according to Legend, uh, they were presented with a trailer for the South Park movie produced by Paramount's marketing. And it was something out of like, Get ready for the laughiest movie of the summer. <laughs> These four boys are going to be in a wacky adventure. Uh, according to one interview, Matt Stone literally took the tape, walked to his car, put it in his trunk, and drove away with the master copy of the trailer. Uh, in another interview, 
they said that uh, it was a music video that they had made with cut down versions of the songs with all the profanity taken out, which means there's no jokes in the entire music video. <laughs> it's just weird chunks of expositional text kind of cut together for no apparent purpose. And that's what they broke into. Um, they sent aggressive um, memos to the uh, executive boards at uh, Paramount. Uh, one said formula for success. And it just said cooperation equals you doing fucking nothing and leaving us alone equals success. <laughs> like, to the point where, uh, and I thought this was hilarious in the Playboy interview, um, uh, they asked, did the movie success make things better with Paramount? Stone replies, no, they don't like us. Uh, Parker says, it uh, It doesn't matter. If we had sucked their balls, it would have been the same uh, thing. Playboy is like, doesn't Paramount still have the film rights to any future South Park movies? To which Trey Parker responds, they do, but now it's a two-way street. In their eyes, a movie couldn't make enough money to be worth it to them to work with us again. And in our eyes, they could not pay us enough to work with them again. Turns out the answer to that question was they can, and it's $900 million. And frankly, I don't blame them. Um, but the movie was kind of deemed their last hurrah. They thought the show was kind of getting canceled. They were coming to the end of their original deal. And uh, most people had kind of rang the death knell for the show, especially because they were never able to recapture the ratings highs of the season finale cliffhanger that had taken over a nation during the exact same time they were in every newspaper, cover a Rolling Stone, and they were an actual uh, phenomenon. Instead of being the most popular show on television, they were just the number one rated program on cable, which is just a very like silly thing. But they had made some enemies and people wanted to see them fail. So they made the one thing that they always wanted to make, a full-blown musical. And it is maybe, I mean, I watched it as a kid. My parents took me to see it. They were like ready like they were visibly nervous. They were like, fuck, I don't know what this is going to be. This is I, my shitty kid wants to see the fucking cursing cartoon movie, whatever. <laughs> and they left the theater happier than I did because it was such a solid musical. Uh, the uh, music uh, with Mark Shaman uh, includes such wonderful songs as uh, Blame Canada, Uncle Fucker. Up there, there's so much room. Babies burping, flowers bloom. Uh, just a genuinely great movie. It's so weird uh, watching it now because I remember as a kid being like, wow, the animation in this is so much better. This <laughs> is crazy. And um, uh, listening to the director's commentary, uh, they're like, this shot fucking sucks. This shot sucks. This is dumb. And uh, according to them, you can tell how much their animation prowess evolves from shot to shot, from season to season from the crowd sizes. In season one, a crowd of people is like six little generic adults going blah, 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 up and down. And by the later seasons, they can have thousands of characters on screen actively like engaging in combat with each oh, other. Oh yeah, yeah, and they have fun with it. And I mean, they did that great um, episode about the the remake of Carbon gets an anal probe, and now we can have do backs mm. in the background and everything. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the movie gives them not only uh, commercial success, but critical success. Uh, famously, Matt and Trey are invited to the Oscars. Uh, Trey Parker was listed as the songwriter on Blame Canada. Matt accompanied him on his date. They famously appeared in 
dresses uh, in the style of Jennifer Lopez and I think Winona Ryder. And they were on acid. Uh, yeah. High on acid. They were on acid. Uh, of the experience, uh, they often highlight, it seems like a fun idea until you realize once the, you're past the red carpet and you have to sit down and watch the Oscars while on acid. And then they lost to Phil Collins and they, I think they end up making fun of him in like a next in the next season just because like, fuck you for beating us, Phil Collins. <laughs> And Robin Williams, right? Robin Williams does uh, blame Canada. They tried to get Anne Murray to sing oh. it, but unfortunately, but she didn't do it. Um, and so, yeah, Robin Williams performed it, and he did a very admirable job. I will say, in terms of like without the nostalgia, if you talk to a Gen Zer, they'll be like, the Tarzan soundtrack is one of the hardest, like insanely good chunks of music of my childhood. And without the nostalgia of like the fun sing-songy musical bits. You know, you, you listen to You'll Be In My Heart and like, you know, when the when the drums kick in, man, it's, you know, I, I'm not going to I'm not as mad at the uh, Academy Awards as I used to be for that <laughs> slight. They then get renewed. They get a newer deal. Uh, they make That's My Bush, which was uh, we're not getting into that. Uh, they've got a deal with Macromedia, the software company responsible for Flash, to uh, make their own original animated show called Princess which was a big deal as a nerd that was really into shockwave animations at the time. It made it two episodes because there was a lot of dog fucking in that one. Oh, I remember that show. Yeah, Jesus Christ. There was a lot of horror. There was suicide. They just, they like tried to make the most unpleasant thing possible. And it was, uh, they, they did it. It's like, you know, that's just free money for them. Uh, they made Team America, which honestly could be worth its own episode. But it basically revolves around, hey, wouldn't it be funny if we used puppets to do this comedy movie? And then they learned, uh, actually, no, it would be a horrifying waste of time, energy, and manpower to the point of uh, contemplating suicide. But originally what it was going to be was they were going to do the day after tomorrow, but just with puppets, which would have been incredible. And then obviously rights and all of that. I don't think of a studio is going to be like, yeah, just make our movie, but with puppets. Mm -hmm. So they're like, I guess we got to write our own thing. And yeah, the puppets were a pain in the ass, but it is, it's so fucking funny. I mean, it, it is dated in many ways, but uh, there are still anytime I see a movie and they show the location, I always think in my head, you know, 6,700 miles from America. <laughs> Working on the film uh, kind of gives them access to better facilities. They move to a new animation studio and kind of what we know as South Park Studios kind of comes into its own. And all these people that had been with them for so long, kind of everyone from the character designers to the storyboard artists, to the uh, animators, to the lip sync artists, they've just built this finely honed machine that can like deliver on the whims of these two guys and Whatever uh, comedians, usually Vernon Chapman or uh, Bill Hader or some other poor schmo that does not realize what they're into, um, whatever like comedy dreamscape they imagine and type out can be brought to reality by this uh, studio. Uh, I remember um, Good Times with Weapons, where they did that like 90s anime style you know, they just kind of launched it, you know, they wrote it and then it was up to this team to kind of make it happen. Um, there's tons of classic episodes uh, during this middle period. We got Woodland Critter Christmas, uh, Awesomeo, which is like almost a cathartic experience of watching Cartman finally get his comeuppance and just be forced to like eat toothpaste. 
because he was caught in a lie. Uh, more and more, Randy gets his own focused episodes. Uh, the Losing Edge in season nine is a very important one. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I thought this was America. I thought this was America. I think that's... Um, oh, sorry. Go on. It's funny because... Oh, is that... Wait, is that a different one? No, no, no. I was going to say that's a pivotal point in the show. And I think that that really adds years to it because, you know, Randy's kind of a background character at first. But then, you know, because like the first few seasons... I mean, and a lot of the show is all from the kid's perspective. But then once you have this adult who will just believe in anything <laughs> or commit to anything immediately, and, you know, he's an asshole in many ways, but there's a likability to him at the end of the day. Like, you you root for him. Like, I, it's amazing that you don't see this in a lot of shows where, they just look at a tool that they've always had and then start utilizing it in this completely different way. And it just adds life to the show when he becomes Lord, uh, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. and it's, and you kind of like, you kind of like feel for him. Like there's, he's not the most likable character, but there is a three dimensionality to him when, when, um, you know, Bono is going to beat him to have the biggest deuce. <laughs> Uh, and how important that is to him. It's uh, one of the things that I think the show does really uh, amazingly is being alive in a, in a society, Michael. Michael, we live in a society. And part of being in a society is uh, collective narratives kind of emerge from the ether. They get backed up. They get repeated. And a thing that did not exist a week ago is now an indispensable part of our collective consciousness. And South Park Usually Randy will embrace it, but he's kind of a dumb, like naive asshole about it. And he gets it wrong. Uh, Cartman will exploit it cynically and kind of point out how like these new narratives and paradigms could justify like selfish behavior. Stan and uh, Kyle are usually kind of as our creator stand-ins are just kind of standing in the background being like, this is new and this is weird and this doesn't quite make sense. Are we sure about this? Um, all these things kind of come together and yeah, make a really responsive thing. Uh, another landmark episode is Make Love Not Warcraft, where they kind of uh, got Blizzard themselves, which uh, to use machinima to help them out. And that kind of like, you know, Simpsons could never, Family Guy could never, but South Park manages to do this. Um, and so the thing kind of just chugs along. They've refined their kind of uh, production schedule where they are kind of streamlined and under the gun to produce episodes week after week. They do the Mormon episode, which kind of becomes uh, Book of Mormon, which becomes a Broadway hit. Yeah, but you look at it, right? Like, this is a thorough line. Orgasmo, he's a Mormon. Um, you know, uh, Cannibal the Musical, I think there's Mormons in that. So th this is just, he's always taking the stuff that he's obsessed with and then just keeps committing to it. Mormonism Musicals is, and Mormon. I mean, they're, but they're probably the best commentators on it because it's obviously something that they dealt with growing up. And it's just a unique, it's a religion based in America. It is the most American religion possible based on the promise of the frontier as a place where you can build your utopia. You can build your Shangri-La. You can uh, get hunted by the U S government for a couple of years. Then they get sick of it and leave you alone. And, and that episode too, like it really shows if, you know, um, if you want to dissect a religion, just explain it the way they explain it. 
<laughs> which I know will co- come into the Scientology episode as well with the, this is what Scientologists actually believe. Yeah. So there's, South Park has a controversies Wikipedia page. There's a co- collated list of all the things they've done to get headlines and get people mad at them. Um, among them is uh, the Scientology episode uh, in which Tom Cruise and John Travolta trap themselves in the closet and the Church of Scientology uh, explains the religion in painstaking detail, uh, specifically the mythology that emerges once you've uh, injected enough money into the system. Uh, many people point out they give it, they give you this information when you're already too far gone and committed too highly financially and emotionally to be like, oh, I've been duped, bye. Um, and supposedly the show uh, was barred from re-airing because supposedly, allegedly, Tom Cruise, which was uh, who had been making the Mission Impossible films with Viacom, who owns Comedy Central, uh, was going to stop promoting the movie and bow out of all press junkets if the episode wasn't pulled. Uh, also, Isaac Hayes, who did the voice of Chef, who was a famous soul singer, famously did the uh, theme song from Chef, a mu- musical legend in his own right, was a practicing Scientologist when the episode aired. And uh, according to his son, uh, his personal entourage that was staffed entirely by Scientologists took advantage of his recent health problems and quit the show on behalf of him without his consent. Uh, resulting in the very heartbreaking episode, uh, the return of Chef and Chef goes in and like that whole thing where they kind of have to kill off the character for being a member of a gay little club, as they called it. Uh, what's, what other controversies can I can I uh, point to? I mean, uh, Muhammad. Uh, and then and then because also because that episode, it's funny, um, the cartoon wars, the, the Muhammad thing's big, but uh their evisceration of family guy <laughs> no, yeah. and what's amazing about it is that they make fun of family guy in such a specific way and then because of the speed that they can do it within a week and family guy has to take months to respond um you know they just they clobber these guys and and as a floridian and and, and i was still living in florida when this came on manatees are the funniest thing <laughs> and, and 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 manatees are so uniquely florida manatees are florida there's a big dumb animal that swims into a speedboat um you know like when i grew up there was a lot of manatee awareness commercials um you know psas and stuff so manatees were like a big thing and so to see manatees get the national stage um and uh with the idea balls it's like it's such because it's so off kilter and it, 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 they make fun of family guy in a way that family guy would never think of mm-hmm. you know <laughs> and it's so brilliant yeah. and then obviously yeah the 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 muhammad stuff i mean because these are the guys who have always you know thumb their noses at authority like any any or authority because you, you look at like the very act of saying you can't make fun of this is like red on a on a matador's. I mean, kid. even in in two thousand one, um, less than two months after nine eleven, when you have Osama bin Laden as a Looney Tune type character, he's basically Yosemite Sam to Cartman's Bugs Bunny, mm-hmm. and you know, like there was something cathartic about that. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, uh, you're talking about the episode Osama Bin Laden has farty pants and the episode starts with the four boys at the bus stop like they traditionally were all in gas masks and just being like, remember when things were normal? And Cartman just goes, no. And this was, yeah, almost... when, when was the year? It was November. I think it was November first. I want to say it was. It was early November. Yeah, that's insane turnaround time. It's yeah. It's like the Onion coming out with their issue the same week. It's just yeah. It was especially for a, a generation that like looked to them for guidance. Like it was very. It was. It was. It was comforting to know that South Park was there with us. They made bad video games because they didn't get to make the games. They made Stick of Truth with the help of Obsidian Entertainment, who made Fallout New Vegas. They were heavily involved writing 500 pages of script for Obsidian to work on. The whole thing was kind of a clusterfuck because THQ, the publisher that was supposed to be working with them, uh, was in the middle of financial collapse at the time. Uh, Eventually, the rights went to Ubisoft, who then uh, published a sequel called The Fractured But Whole. Then uh, 2016 happened and everybody got very weird. And South Park kind of struggled to keep up with the times. They have since kind of uh, come roaring back into relevancy, kind of free of the shackles of the Trump years and all of the intensity of it uh, with the vaccination special and the uh, quarantine special, which were uh, kind of a return to form, kind of longer form storytelling, uh, more in tune with the uh, original South Park movie than the kind of uh start and sputterness of the uh of the serialized thing they brought in characters like pc principal who again it's like if they're gonna make fun of pc culture and make fun of all that it's not some like blue-haired like college kid being like yeah you can't make fun of that like they put it in the guise of this weird bro who's like Whoa there, bro. You can't just, uh, you know, assume people's identities based on their outward gender performativeness. Like, and like, even then that is at least a swerve. That is at least like an original take than what is usually passes for uh countercultural and, comedy. In and that and this is in the same episode. Speaking of swerves where Caitlyn Jenner is just running people over. <laughs> when when other comedies and stuff are like we don't we can't make fun of her we don't know how to you know and this and that and they're just like boom here you go yeah and you'd think after all these years like oh when are they going to get canceled oh when is the shoe going to drop it feels like the people that don't like south park have wrote them off and the people that do like south park uh look to it as nostalgic look to it as a unique form of rel- of uh timely comedy to the point where they signed a $900 million deal to create 14 spinoff movies and new episodes for the Paramount Plus streaming service. They said that uh, they're going to kind of focus on different characters. Like it won't necessarily be in the same format, in the same framing that everyone uh, associates with previous South Park things, but that it will still be the same South Park animation style and the same South Park tone. Uh, I am excited for that, even though uh, I might have to go back on LimeWire because I don't know if I can pay for Paramount Plus on top of everything else. Maybe I'll cancel my Disney Plus subscription. Who knows? Um, and as of recording, mere days ago, after getting shut down due to COVID-19, Trey Parker and Matt Stone formally uh, agreed to purchase Casa Bonita, the uh, combination Mexican restaurant slash entertainment palladium uh, beloved by Denver youths for decades. <laughs> which I think is very funny and adds to their mythology as not your traditional rich entertainer people, as these guys who are outsiders and who 
follow their own kind of zeitgeist and id when it comes to what it means to be multi-million dollar creators. The guys who are sitting there in dresses on acid in the middle of a uh, fancy Oscar ceremony. Yeah, and it's interesting because like, you know, I I know that they're, they're very anti-union. Mm. And like, apparently, like what I've been told, they really do take care of their individual employees. And that's great. Like they even pay them when they're they're not working just so that they can retain them. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't want them going to other jobs. They take care of people. But the one thing that kind of does suck about it, like where the anti-establishment stuff comes in, is there are so many other adult animated comedies that aren't non-union and they use that as the template. Mm. And it's like like um there's IATSE, which you can say Brickleberry. You can say Brickleberry. <laughs> Let's just dunk on Brickleberry for a while. Well, I, 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 I you did just open a tangent in my head. I, I want to go to in a sec, <laughs> but um, there is IATSE, uh, which is an animation union, but it's like it's not the same benefits. Like I, I'm in the WGA. WGA gives you like high quality health insurance and stuff like that, and like every every animated show. Every show on TV should be, as, if there are writers, if the show is being written, mm. it should be represented by, like, I'm a union guy, so maybe that's why I believe that. And, you know, they like to thumb their nose at the unions and stuff. So, to me, that that's that's my biggest um, complaint about them. I mean, the way, you can watch the uh, Six Days to Air documentary. It's on HBO Max. It's You can watch it online. And the way they describe, you know, the way they make the shows when they're in production with hundred hour weeks with people like staying in the office overnight with these last minute changes kind of coming in from Trey and Matt, uh, last minute line changes, all this thing is very similar to kind of the crunch conditions that people have been trying to like push back against over the years. You know, it's a very, who know you know, the, the six days to air was made by Comedy Central and presented on Comedy Central. So Obviously, they want to, you know, present it as like, yeah, man, rock and roll. Like, that's how we do things. Punk forever. DIY. Uh, but I'm sure many people would enjoy uh, not working till 3 a.m. on a show about uh, a fat little boy who says racial slurs. Like <laughs> I was going to say, um, when, when you mentioned Brickleberry, I, I feel like we have to mention the graveyard of shows on Comedy Central. Oh my God, you're right. Launched. It did not even occur to Remember me. Remember Kid Notorious? The Robert Evans cartoon. Oh my Crod God. Van Dune, which is live action. Failed South Park follow. Because follow South, Park, South Park has always been Wednesdays at 10. It's I, I maybe, maybe someone could correct me, but I don't think they've ever changed their time slot. Um, no, it's from been, the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. And but man, because, you know, you could always try to launch something with that. That's their biggest show. And boy, did they try time after time after time after time after time. Uh, we got Little Bush. Ugh. We got Tech Jansen. We got Freak Show. We got uh, Ugly Americans. <laughs> we got Moonbeam City. Yeah. We got, oh, my God, Trip Tank. We got Insecurity. Oh, no, wait, that one. Well, whatever. Um, we got uh, does drawn together count? Yeah, I think drawn I think together lasted after, long yeah. enough, but it was yeah, a yeah. success. I I think it did pretty well. Yeah, I, I want to put uh, it in the but graveyard. you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was um, just a yeah, man, just a just a 
There was a basketball one a couple years ago that um, I, I don't doubt that it. they aired like right after South Park because yeah, this is the way to launch them. That's always been you know. I know Chappelle was on Wednesdays. Were they on together? Because God, what an hour that would be. <laughs> uh, the Legend of Chamberlain that's Heights it. was I another one. That's it. Yeah, that's the basketball. Uh, Jeff and some aliens. Uh, oh wait. Oh oh okay. Um. <laughs> Oh my God! This is yeah. Wow. Shorty's watching Shorty's. <laughs> Another so many sh- uh, animated shows, just trying, trying so hard. Oofy do. And then they just uh, did they give up and were like, "Fuck it, we we're bringing Futurama back." <laughs> I think so. <laughs> I think that's what happens. Get me David X Cohen. Oh my God! Uh, it's I Holden literally had his entire uh, notes ready made for this episode before the baby came. I feel bad that I'm not covering a lot of his very hard research, but I think we I think we covered a good a good chunk of it. I think we we captured the je ne sais quoi energy of what it means to come on down to South Park and have yourself a time. Yeah, friendly freezes everywhere, homegrown folks without temptation. <laughs> Primus, I mean, like, and, and that that that's still there. Like the amount of stuff, like the disclaimer, like. Mm-hmm. For a show to be on this long and still, yeah, have its original creators have um, a voice uh, that it does. Like, and I mean, right now, yeah, everything is content. Everything is the content wars. And the fact that, you know, yeah, these guys got $900 million. It was to make all that new stuff, but also for just the gold mine they already have. Mm-hmm. I, I think that um, we wouldn't have a lot of the kind of uh, American comedy we do without South Park. I don't know if you get all of Adult Swim without South Park. Oh, no, definitely not. No. And it's it's not even like the crassest or whatever. It's the auteur-driven nature of it. I think that's what's really important to remember. That it, yeah, that it stayed these two yep. guys. That uh, while, while Simpsons has like changed and gotten bad or become a zombie Simpsons, South Park is evolving. South Park is literally two men as they've gotten older for the past 25 years. Well, and I think it's important to say, you know, one's a franchise and one's a platform, you know? Yeah. And this is a platform. And I mean, even just in the sense that the Simpson movie comes out 16 years (laughs) after it originally airs and the South Park movie comes out two years after it airs. And, you know, and, and I think the legacy of like bigger, longer uncut is, it is a self-contained like moment in time. Take a trip to 1999, and, and the story holds up. I mean, there's stuff in it like the Saddam stuff and everything that's just so old, but like it still works. And a lot of those episodes still work. Um, they're time capsules. They immediately take you back to these big moments. You know, their handling of Michael Jackson, of Kanye West, of the Jonas Brothers. Like they were always. In the zeitgeist, like I said, the Britney Spears thing, how they were uh, ahead of things at times. One of my favorite episodes, I've mentioned it several times, is Good Times with Weapons. And my hot take on that was it's the show at its best because it is a self-contained thing about kids being kind of weird little assholes to each other. And it's uh, about something that Trey Parker like just loved as a kid, which is anime and Japanese shit and playing around with ninja weapons as a kid. And as I was like forming this hot take with the Sunday study group, uh, go to patreon.com forward slash whisper, learn how you can join the Sunday study group. I was like, see, this is the show when it's at its purest, where it's not like weird, where they don't have to have a hot take about whatever was happening in the news. 
the episode ends with a Janet Jackson wardrobe malfunction <laughs> joke. That's how they wrap it up. And I checked and the episode came out two weeks after the Super Bowl. Yeah. Of and that I year. think that, you know, some of their stuff that was hot takes at the time. Yeah. I mean, like the Goobacks episode, these people from the, you know, took our <laughs> jobs. I mean, it's like, and though that specific type of person just got more and more power over the years, <laughs> you know, it's like, I, I think, you know, the true testament to South Park is when a, an event happens and you're like, man, I can't wait to see what South Park does with yeah. it, you know, and, yeah. and, and unfortunately, um, you know, now doing only like 10 episodes or, or these movies or whatever, they have more of a limited time or, you know, there, there are times where though, I remember they did like a Black Panther episode where it was like, I think it was like Cartman trying to get Token to admit he didn't like Black Panther. And it had been like six months after Black Panther, but it was clearly <laughs> something that still bothered the guys. <laughs> yeah. You know, because yeah. they care more about movie shit. Like for all the political hot takes, a bad movie will set them off way I mean, harder. And you know, it's like, but the thing is, they are still more clever about it than a lot of people. I mean, these are the guys who physically had steven spielberg and george lucas <laughs> sexually assault indiana jones <laughs> yeah. as their criticism of kingdom of crystal skull <laughs> <laughs> and it's like could you even could you do that now probably not probably not but it's like when you think of like every angry um fanboy who's like this is what that movie did it's yeah. like that's what they felt yeah yeah <sighs> uh we honestly now I just want to talk to you about cartoons for another hour and a half, but that would be that would be mean to our audience. Uh, Mike Lawrence, thank you so much for filling in as guest host uh, this time around. Uh, besides being a cool guy, a good husband, and a rad friend, uh, what what have you been up to lately? What can you tell the tens and thousands of adult men aged twenty five to thirty seven that listen to this show? <laughs> Um, I uh, co-host a podcast with uh, Dan St. Germain, Scott Chaplin, and Robert Karpolis of uh, WWE Creative-ish fame called Wrestle Roast. It is a, a wrestling podcast where we, we get this nerdy, but about wrestling. <laughs> and um, we so what we do is we pick a wrestler every week. We talk about what we love about them. Then we roast them. Uh, we we have a bunch of jokes about them. And then we highlight like a moment from their career that we talk about. And then we do a little bit of AEW reviewing, um, some WWE. Uh, we talk about our high points and low points the week in wrestling. It's a good time to be a wrestling yeah, fan. There's a lot of retro stuff. And then there's a lot of modern stuff. And the jokes are very silly. Um uh we just did the british bulldog and i had a joke that was oh wow uh, his uh he, you know he's british he was a big fan of doctor who can refill me soma prescription <laughs> <laughs> so it's very it's very silly it's very fun we're roasting the rock oh um this upcoming week so you know hey don't insult our future president like that no i'm just gonna read the jungle cruise script that's a <laughs> <laughs> Say what you will. The man makes a, a mean, healthy warrior lifestyle energy. Uh, I will. He's amazing. And it, 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 it'll be fun. Um, it'll be awesome with this big old milky titty. Uh, so thanks again, Mike. Uh, as always, you can uh, support the podcast and uh, 
put food in Holden's new baby's mouth, goddammit, uh, by going to patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. $5 a month gets you weekly bonus episodes. Uh, if you haven't been a member before, imagine all the fun you're having listening now, but for hundreds of hours more at this point, uh, it helps us out. And for an extra tier, you can join the Sunday study session, a weekly live stream with uh, me and Holden, and we go into upcoming research topics. We watch movies, we play games. And uh, a lot of times uh, the stream will help us kind of shape the future of the episode. And it's a very fun hang. Definitely worth uh, ch uh, checking it out. Um, and if you're a rich weirdo, uh, attention, rich weirdos, uh, just literally hanging out, throwing money out the window. Send us some of that. That's fun. <laughs> if you just got a $900 million Paramount deal. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, just go ahead. Uh, Patreon will, will hook you up for that. Uh, I, I love you, rich weirdo. And I just want to say a, a personal congrats to, to Holden and Lexi. Um, it's awesome. And yeah, yeah, donate to the Patreon. If you're wondering who this show benefits, a small child. That's who. <laughs> <laughs> the smallest, tiniest new life form. Uh, until next time, always remember, keep on whizzing and never stop bruising. And uh uh, hey, hey, uh, take us out with the weird slowed down version of the theme song that was originally recorded by Les Claypool that Comedy Central had to demand them speed up because it was it took up too much time uh, on the air. Let's let's leave with that with Les Claypool's weird slow version of the South Park theme song. Les Claypool, more like more Claypool. <laughs> God damn it. This is why you're the king. Lightning, lightning in a bottle. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors, you can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Yeah.